Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. This is a podcast where I have conversations with other folks in healing professions and talk about the intersection of healing self while taking care of others. My name is Sarah Buino and I am your host and I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago. My practice is called Head Heart Therapy and I generally mostly work with folks in addiction. And I also teach at a couple different universities, master's level social work students about addiction. So that's a little bit about me if you haven't met me before. I really appreciate you being here and sharing today's conversation with me. I've got something really exciting to share with you today. We have a sponsor. Now, normally I wouldn't advertise for anything that I didn't personally use myself, but I am excited to share this service with you because of the endorsement from one of my very, very best friends and guest from episode 19, Sarah Suzuki. So our sponsor today is the receptionist for iPad, the top digital check-in software for therapy offices and behavioral health clinics. The receptionist for iPad is a simple, modern, private way for your clients to check in for their visit. When a client checks in, an immediate notification is sent to the therapist via text or email. The receptionist for iPad is a great tool to help automate visitor check-ins and allow your clients to get to their provider more quickly and discreetly. So Sarah Suzuki is the founder and director of Chicago Compass Counseling, and she says, my staff love it. The second we implemented it, they said it was amazing, and our clients really like it too. We wanted something convenient and proactive so clients aren't sitting in the waiting area wondering if their therapist knows that they're there. You too can use the receptionist for iPad, and you can sign up for a 14-day free trial of the receptionist by going to thereceptionist.com healer. I have another fun, exciting thing to share with you. I recently aired an episode with Brooke Thomas of Bliss and Grit, and I wanted to share with you a new community offering from her called Liberated Being. Maybe you're on a healing path if you're listening to a show like this, shedding layers of conditioning, healing nervous system patterns that resulted from traumas, and underneath all of that, a desire to touch into knowing that you are safe, sane, and worthy. If you're on that ride, that ride is glorious and confusing and sometimes heart-achingly lonely. It's just a fucking weird journey sometimes, and it's not easy to make that shift on our own. Liberated Being is designed to provide the support the other 167 hours a week when you aren't talking to your therapist or coach. You can visit the website at www.liberatedbeing.community to learn more. It's open to new members now until March 4th, so be sure to hop on that ASAP. And you can also connect with me there. That's www.liberatedbeing.community community. We are talking with Sarah Prager today. Sarah has been working with people on the road to recovery from co-occurring substance use disorders and mental health issues for 15 years. She currently works as the clinical manager for the Recovery Cooperative at All Health Network, a vibrant community mental health center serving Arapahoe and Douglas counties in the beautiful Colorado. She's passionate about her work and loves to teach group fitness classes on the weekends. She lives with her husband and two little boys in Centennial. For more information about the Recovery Cooperative, visit www.allhealthnetwork.org. So Sarah and I met when I was doing a training out in Portland, and I was so excited to receive her email afterward, and we just got to talking. We have so much in common, and our conversation was wonderful, and I'm really excited to share her with you today. So please enjoy my interview with Sarah Prager. Hello, Sarah Prager. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you because we don't know each other very well at all. And I often actually find that's almost easier to have conversations with people you don't know because we can go everywhere. Yeah, unlimited. Yeah, so... 
I guess we can start by telling the audience where we met. So I did a speaking gig in Portland for NADAC, which I cannot remember what NADAC stands for. Can you? The National Association of Alcohol and Drug Abuse Counselors. Oh my, A+. plus. <laughs> that Sarah gets an A+. plus. So yeah, so I, I did a speaking gig and I was talking about addiction, shame, and trauma. And you reached out to me after that. And I was like, this is cool. Let's be friends. Yeah, I, I don't usually attend those because I do so much training outside of mm-hmm. that. But it popped up on the calendar and I was like, ooh, I love talking about shame and learning about it. And mm-hmm. I decided to attend it and you just spoke all my language. And I was like, wow, something about this woman is worth reaching out to. And I sent you an email and here we are. Here we are. Yay. (laughs) So why don't you tell folks who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm the clinical manager of co-occurring treatment at a fantastic mental health center called All Health Network in Colorado. And we have locations all around Arapahoe and Douglas counties, so we're pretty huge. I've been in community mental health for the last 14 years, and I do addiction and mental health co-occurring. Of course, I think it's all co-occurring. Mm-hmm. There is no difference. Mm-hmm. We'll talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> I'm like, how can you treat one or the other? But mm-hmm. I love working with that population. I love managing this team of incredible people who also love it. And I also treat gamblers. Oh. Yeah, that's a little specialty I didn't know I would fall into, but it's needed and it's it's few and far between that you find someone who can do that. And I do EMDR, which I love. And I'm a Daring Way counselor. Yeah, what, what? That's where I'm at. And I used to think that I got here on accident, actually. I was telling this story up until just recently. So... I got a degree in theater education, so. No way, my background was in musical theater. <laughs> of course it was. Of course it the was. Person. <laughs> right? And of course that's kind of a pointless degree. Yep. So you don't find that out until you start looking for a job. And right. I did teach for less than a year and I was like, oh man, this is not what I'm trying to be doing. Mm. But I was driving by this place in Aurora called Excelsior Youth Center. Hmm. And I called them up because I thought it was a summer camp. Mm. And I said, are you looking for teachers for your summer camp? And they were like, yes, but we only need a theater teacher. It's like, like, whoa. Mingo, that's me. (laughs) I'm it. So yeah, I did my interview and they hired me immediately. And it turns out it was a residential treatment center for very, Mm. very traumatized girls, uh, adolescent girls only. And I immediately fell into the role of crisis counselor and really, really loving working with the trauma and Mm. attachment was huge. So it kind of was an accident. But now that I look back on my life, I realize I was always supposed to be doing this. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. I've seen addiction and mental health everywhere from my childhood and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. It wasn't an accident. Yeah. I want to pull on a thread, and I don't know if there's anything there to pull on, but I've interviewed actually a decent amount of people who have some sort of like music or theater background, and there's got to be something about our own history and our families with addiction and mental illness and all of that and our desire to escape through some sort of performance or some sort of art form. Yeah, I think 
it was both because my parents were actors. So I was actually oh, okay. <laughs> I was, yeah, brought into it through the family for sure. But also mm. it was a safe place to say like, I want to be seen mm-hmm. and getting some attention without feeling bad or guilty or shameful. And mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. just getting that acceptance regardless of how you feel about yourself. And you know, it's a, it's a good place for folks who don't fit in to any one bucket mm-hmm. <laughs> the theater bucket yep yep yeah so we definitely. had the the theater and show choir weirdos exactly yeah so if you don't mind i'm curious what is in your history when you look back you know i i feel like a lot of times when we're going through it we don't realize how fucked up it is and then when we look in the rearview mirror we're like oh yeah that's that's why i became a therapist <laughs> <laughs> I had that exact feeling about an uncle that I had when we were growing up. He was just like, wow, he's got so many crazy stories. He's awesome. He was working on ships and getting into fights and he got kicked out of a few countries. Like, don't come back. Okay. That's (laughs) impressive. Yeah. (laughs) You can't come back to Spain or whatever. Exactly. (laughs) He's got so many great life stories. And Mm -hmm. then he started collecting. It sounds like he amassed a collection of weapons for the end of the world, maybe, or, um, and he was completely isolated. And it turns out he was, I mean, he had some major personality disorder happening. Mm. And I think there was some bipolar happening because Mm. he would go into manic episodes that Mm -hmm. we all thought Mm -hmm. was just like, oh, wow, cool, crazy activities. Yeah. Um, And that's not what it, it was, major, major manic episodes that were very dangerous. And he ended up, we think, overdosing and you know mm. no one knew he died so he he was there for a while in his house oh. and someone found him a lot longer oh. so it's really tragic and sad but had no idea until here I am as a therapist looking back going mm-hmm. oh that's mm-hmm. what mania is right. got it I also I have this curiosity about the aging narcissist because you said personality disorder and I don't know which one he had but I feel like there's a connection with narcissism and paranoia as they age. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. I don't know your politics, but I'm going to guess that you also do not like Donald Trump. And (laughs) we are in agreement that he is a flaming narcissist, amongst other things. But my dad was like so much like him. And I see so many similarities between Trump now and my dad after he had had a stroke and this level Mm -hmm. of xenophobia and paranoia that like, you know, when you say your uncle is collecting guns for like the end of the world, my dad same thing. He was like, oh, there's going to be a race riot. And to his credit, he did live in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. So he was the outlier there, which could have certainly created some fear in him. But there's no fucking race war happening. But he had a bunker. He had a bunker in his home with tuna and toilet paper. And that's what you need. (laughs) Right. And like, of course, you know, me and my brother were like, you're fucking nuts. But I don't know. But you seem to resonate with that idea of like the aging narcissist assistant paranoia being a thing. I I see a lot. He was absolutely paranoid to a a really extreme level. And I think if that personality disorder fits narcissism, paranoia goes into it with most people that I see. Mm. I see that symptom in most folks who would qualify for that personality disorder. And Mm. and I look at all personality disorders now as just a severe attachment trauma. 100%. Yep. We're kind of working towards like, let's Let's not label it for a while. Let's just say mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. working with someone's really struggling with attachment wounds. Right. So 
I don't know what those were for him. And my grandparents are no longer here, so I can't right. find out. I'm kind of curious. My oh, dad I did know. not know <laughs> I really wish, I wish there was some way to go back and get answers. Yeah, like my parents are both passed away and there's only a few family members left who could give me information, but they can't give me the information that I would need as a therapist to like really be able to kind of uncover a lot of these things. But it's so fascinating to be able to kind of go back in history. Like my mom kept journal after journal after journal. And so I can read some things and get mm -hmm. a lot more more understanding of her trauma and mm -hmm. like you said attachment oh my god that's everything have you heard of NARM and if not get excited no. okay <gasps> okay I've been talking about this forever on the podcast because I'm totally obsessed with it but it's neuroaffective relational model and it's all about developmental trauma and it's yeah. a it's a bottom up top down process and I swear to god it's a divine download that when you're working with someone you can literally see their ego reorganize itself while yeah. you're doing therapy it's incredible if you have a training anywhere near you anywhere in the future go I'll look it up. I feel that way about IFS and parts yes. work. Kind yes, yes, it's, it's very, very okay. there. It, yes and no. I think I think there are similarities to it because one of my therapists is getting trained in it as well, and and she's like this resonates with exactly kind of overlaps with everything that she knows about IFS and. To me, it also gets at shame because my frustration with Brene Brown's work has been I want to be able to take it deeper. You know, I've been using it for so long and it's like there's other stuff here that's not being talked about and yeah. uh, like denial. Like I, we really need to talk more about denial and then getting at how shame is formed in early, early, early attachment, not just oh, yeah. from the cognitive place where we understand it, but from this physiological place. And that's what yeah. NARM does. And it's like, holy shit. Nice. So I'm curious. I have to ask you a question. Um, yeah. My mom had serious attachment issues as well. She was, grew up in a very, very abusive situation in multiple ways. And I want to empathize and I totally value that she broke that cycle somehow. I'm not sure mm. how, but but then I come to a point where I, I don't want to know everything because mm. it's like too, it crosses that boundary. I don't want to turn into the therapist. So have you felt that way when you're looking at your mom's history? You know, now that she's passed away, it's different. And it's truthfully, you know, this might sound horrifying to some people, but in, in many ways, it's been easier for me to do my own healing work without her there, because then it doesn't have to be a, a relational process. I can just do my own work and be able to dig into her history. So I think for me, it provides a level of safety to yeah. make it clinical rather than personal. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And it's easier for me to be compassionate with her when I'm not coming from the place of like, you didn't give me what I needed. And that's something that NARM really helped me do. It's funny, my dad was always like, he would have been the identified patient in the family because he was a narcissist and clearly an asshole. Like there was <laughs> no one would disagree that my dad was an asshole in his heyday. And so the finger was always pointed at him and I spent so much of my time being angry with him. And then once I became a therapist and realized the covert ways that codependency and being an adult child of an alcoholic really, the, how that behavior manifested in my mom, then I was like, oh, bitch, nah. You, I've been blaming my dad my whole life, but you are responsible <laughs> for this too. Now that she's gone, really allowing myself to be angry with her because it wouldn't have been safe to be angry and it wouldn't certainly wouldn't have been fair to be angry at her because she did do the best that she could. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Narm, like 
give space for for that anger to be there. And uh, yeah, I could go on and on forever, but we can talk about you more. (laughs) I just feel that it's the same thing with parts. It, It allows me to have a lot more empathy and compassion for myself and acknowledging mm-hmm. my own parts yeah, and in identifying other people's parts, even family, clients, everybody, it's like, wow, it's the whole person is not an asshole. Right. But there's a part of you who's really pushing against me right now for some reason. Right. Not the whole you, but there's a part that's got some big wounds and it just has reframed the way that I see everyone so beautifully. I, I just love seeing people in that way. Well, it makes it easier to live, right? Like if I go around thinking that people are assholes, I'm going to be a lot angrier. Whereas is if I think like, oh, you're just hurting. And it's interesting because I'm trying to take this space of I don't want to spiritually bypass and not experience anger because I think Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to do that. So for me, it's like this healthy balance of can I create a space for anger to be there and be safe and process this and still believe that you're a human being who is just hurting. Right. And I don't know about you, but I need I need space. Mm -hmm. I need distance and Mm -hmm. I need privacy to be able to give the time for those emotions to happen. Mm -hmm. Anger, grief the really hard ones because I mean, I'm a parent, I have a toddler and a Mm. five-year-old and wow. um, Yeah. And I'm, you know, busy in my profession, which I love, but that's, you know, part of the reason why I dipped out for a week (laughs) to Tahoe is like, okay, it's time experience everything. And it was great. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important, especially for women to plan that and allow for it and foster it, Mm -hmm. you know, let it happen. I know. And I I do really struggle with creating space. I'm at the point right now where I think I need an administrative assistant and I'm terrified of giving over my calendar. But literally the other day out of my mouth, I said, well, I'm not doing a very good job of managing it. So I bet someone else could do it better. And I like literally like put my hand over my mouth like, who said that? But yeah. it's, it's for me, it is a big struggle to make time, right? Like I have my self-care planned. I meditate, mm-hmm. I go to the gym, I, you know, I do all these things. So I have, I have it all there, but that space just to, yeah. just to experience yourself, that's hard. Yeah. And it's not accepted in, right. in many circles. I actually got shamed for <gasps> being there by my host. What? No. What happened? I got an Airbnb. And I know that's what my husband said too. She was just older and, you know, wasn't coming from the same place I was. And there was a lot Mm. of judgment. Like, why are you leaving your kids to come out here by yourself? Mm. You know, she wrote me a note that was like, a vacation is no replacement for a happy home. (gasps) Dang. Judgy. Please tell me you left a review that was like, hey, I understand. And this was not cool. Yeah, I said it was hurtful to be judged for trying to be mindful. Yes. I was trying to, you know, take the high road and I feel okay about that. But it was a good learning experience. Like even when you're trying to take care of yourself and do the right things, Mm -hmm. you have to also be prepared for people to think that you're self-centered or selfish Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. not a good parent and if you're, you know, I can rebound from that pretty easily, but I was sh- a little shocked. Right? 
Oh my God. I don't know what. (laughs) See, my my shame reaction tends, especially when it's people judging me for my choices, my shame reaction is to shame right back. Oh yeah. It's something I have had to do a lot of work on to shut my mouth before I just release the venom. But wow, that's, ugh. You know, all my therapist friends are like, yes, that's awesome. I should do that. You should do that. We should all Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to remember that not everyone is in this realm that we live in. Oh, right. One of my therapist friends was like, we've lost the ability to speak human at some point when we become therapists. Yeah. (laughs) Because how long have you been in the field? 14 years? 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's a decade. So it's like, yeah. And all of my friends are therapists and my husband's now a therapist. So I actually feel like right now at this time in my life, I'm being called to to open up to friendships with people who are not therapists, but are still on that spiritual path. Right. It's hard to find them. Yeah, I've, I have the opposite. All of my friends, you know, my I love the people at my job, but my friends, personally, none of them are therapists or anywhere close to it. So mm. I get to have really cool conversations with them that have nothing to do with it. And my mm. husband is absolutely not a therapist. Really? What does he do? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Businessy, you know, yeah, real estate and construction, things that are just not my jam. We're complete opposites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's really nice to have. I can sometimes not imagine coming home and being like, wow, we're going to be emotionally vulnerable at here too and <laughs> all the time. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's kind of how I roll. And it is exhausting. Yeah. I, I mean, good for you. <laughs> you guys are killing it at therapy at home, at work. and I don't know. And I had this conversation with one of one of my listeners. Hey, Rachel, we spoke yesterday just about this like, this insatiable need to like constantly be doing the work and then Mm -hmm. trying to balance at the same time like taking a break from that and she was like yeah I tried to read a novel and I just couldn't I couldn't care less (laughs) she's like she's like my boyfriend was reading the body keeps the score next to me and I kept just Mm -hmm. leaning over and reading over his shoulder (laughs) yeah that uh, yeah that sounds like exactly what I do in my life And that's awesome. I'm totally drawn to that stuff too all the Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. But then what I do, and this may not be the same for you or Rachel or anybody else, but I question, am I trying to read this stuff all the time because of that hustle to be Mm -hmm. a good enough therapist? And Mm -hmm. that's just, I catch myself now that I've, you know, looked into the worthiness thing and the shame. Yeah. It's, you can't unlearn it, right? Right. So now everything I do, I'm like, wait, am I doing this because I want to or am I hustling for my own worthiness? Right. And it, it's a question. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a fair question to continuously ask ourselves for everything. Right. Like, what's my motivation for doing this? Because sometimes our motivation can start off being directly out of a wound and mm-hmm. then can turn into something that's like, no, this is actually my authentic self. I got here in a weird way. I just think about the way I present myself in the world with like crazy colored hair, mohawk and tattoos. And, mm-hmm. you know, initially, because I've been talking about this in therapy with all the NARM stuff, I wasn't seen in my childhood because I was just a reflection of my parents and their Mm -hmm. own wounding. And so my desire to be seen and heard was insatiable. And still to this day, like that is the thing that will hurt me the most is if you can't understand what I'm saying to you and you can't get on board with like how I'm moving through the world. But now it's, you know, I don't have tattoos because I just want to 
show off or be out there. It it really truly is me, but I got there because of some weird wounding. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Yeah. Both piercings and tattoos and mm-hmm. at a very young age, I think the desire was just to be different. And there was a little, mm-hmm. you know, masochistic numbing mm-hmm. um, associated with it, but I just wanted to be different. And now I, I can see that everyone's search for authenticity. Yeah. It takes all these weird paths along the way. And mine, that was part of it. I was, I was trying to be authentic, mm-hmm. but the way it looked was, I just want to be different yeah. and different is authentic in some way, but being right. authentic is, is not that. So I still do love a tattoo and changing things up, but it's mm-hmm. not to just be different from other people. It's because I'm I'm really in tune with my authentic self, I think. Yeah. In that too, like this whole authenticity and there's a space for authenticity to come in right now. And and I find myself sometimes judging, you know, whether or not people are being their authentic selves. And, and when I think back to who I was, I have so much shame about who I was as a teenager, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of compassion for recognizing like she was just trying to literally survive. Like I was mm-hmm. chronically suicidal and mm-hmm. it was really this this cry for help to just figure out who I was. And that was authentic at the time, even right. though, you know, if I met that girl now, I'd be like, oh, honey, please get help. But it was authentic. And so I'm trying right. to like extend that compassion too when I see. So let me know if you understand what I'm talking about here actors with a capital a who yeah. you know what i mean like they are yeah. acting all the time oh, yeah. and that's one all of my biggest i get so repelled by that personality yeah. because my superpower is being able to see the truth whether you can see it or not in yourself that's why we become therapists right and so mm-hmm. when i see like oh there's just so much insecurity and pain underneath there i like cannot yeah. tolerate that exterior but I'm trying to be more compassionate. Obviously, like as a as a therapist, I show up very differently than when it's just like a regular person in my life. But yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I totally. That's one of the things that pushed me out of that, you know, yeah, same. doing that as a career. It was like, oh, man, this feels so slimy yes. sometimes. Yes, so exactly the same thing I did. When I moved to Chicago, I did one musical and I was like, I do not fit with these people around yeah. me. I'm going back to just rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't stand being in LA because it's mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I totally understand that. And I do have an appreciation that everyone it may take someone several lifetimes, you right. know, in my belief system yep. to get to a place where they can go, Oh, this is like everything I'm supposed to be right now and it's okay yeah. and I love it. I don't care what other people are thinking about it, but people who are early in that journey, um mm-hmm. just yeah. Need, need a lot of compassion they're young souls young souls right yeah i was literally gonna say my therapist and i had talked about that like old souls not just being like someone who you feel like gets it but an old soul the way that she presented it to me because she thinks my husband is an old soul because he's very anxious in day to day but like when it comes to the bigger life picture it's like been there, done that. Like, he'll just do whatever I want to do because his souls have done it a million times already. And then like medium age souls would be like you and me who are in this place of really like digging in to do all this like deep work on our soul and grow. And then young souls being like people like Trump or, you know, these actors with a capital A, you know, like trying, trying too hard, right? To like present themselves in a certain way. They're dipping their toe in. 
the mm-hmm. life experience. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's it, it's nice to see it that way. Like, oh, that's cute. Right. You're trying it out. <laughs> right. Have you heard of the story, The Egg? No, I don't think so. Okay. I'm going to send you this YouTube video. My brother sent this to me yesterday and I was like fucking weeping because it just like encapsulated everything I believe. And from what you've been saying, it sounds like you'll believe it too. But so it's a story written by, I think his name's Andy Weir, W-E-I-R. And it's a short story. And essentially this person dies and then goes to meet God and God explains like, you are everyone and everyone is you. Mm -hmm. And once you then live all of the lives that are on earth, then you get to be born as a God. And it was just like, Mm. everything is me. This is all for me. Like, and because I'm everyone else, it was just so moving to me. I love that. It's very Eckhart Tolle, you know? Yeah. You can't have love. You are love. Right. You can't have life. You don't lose life. You are life. Right. And I truly believe that. And I I feel like part of what's healing in therapy is being able to change your belief system so that it's more supportive of health and mental health. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that I don't know what that is. Like there's a leap. There's a leap of faith that we have to take to give up an old belief structure that's no longer serving us. Yeah. And I feel like what that is, that feeling is like seeing that I am you and you're me and we're all exactly the same energy Mm -hmm. that closes the gap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're on Mm -hmm. different paths. We're on different journeys, but we share everything. We share all of our energy And that just helps me so much with compassion. And that's right. I think that's what makes me cry so easily sometimes. Yeah. Which is crazy because I never used to cry. And then there was this time that it switched. Wow. And all of a sudden, my heart is like open to anything mm. that's emotional, which I'm grateful for. Mm. It didn't used to be that way. Wow. I'm sure it's part of spiritual awakening. Yeah. It feels like it. Mm-hmm. It's really mm. interesting. Well, to take that and kind of kind of pivot with it with this question of are you a healer in terms of the work you do and and also to what I'm hearing and just from our discussions it's not even the work you do but it's just who you are seems to mm-hmm. be this I'm gonna say healer but I'm curious your thoughts on the word I would completely agree with that word Aww. it just feels right it hits home mm. I remember I was super super young but I could write so I don't think I could write real well, maybe seven. Mm-hmm. And I wrote my parents a letter explaining that I was meant to heal with my hands. Oh, wow. And I, have, I don't know where it came from. I think I just was like, wow, I need to let them know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought that might mean massage. I got certified in Reiki as mm-hmm. a teen. I think I was like 13 wow. or something. Wow. So I've always, always drawn to feeling like I could help people heal or help animals heal. And it's transformed into this venture of healing. And I absolutely think that that's on point. I don't take credit for people's healing. Right. But because I'm open to their healing Mm -hmm. and I hold space for them to do that, I think it happens and it's great. I love it. I feel it like very deeply when someone else is healing their Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. It's very moving. And yeah, I think it's real. I'm so glad because so many people 
don't like to associate with that word because of this fear of either aligning themselves with like gurus who then end up abusing people or not wanting to take any credit. But I do think that there's a space where we have a right to step in and say, no, I I am a healer. I have this gift. And truly, everybody has the gift. But mm-hmm. whether or not that's our life purpose in this lifetime, I think, is just what determines who's a healer and who's not in this lifetime, right? But I just, I love, I love the word and... I want to associate with it. And so I think like part of the podcast for me is like, okay, can I say this? Because if other people say it, I can say it. So I'm just asking hundreds of people this question just so I can like affirm my own (laughs) belief. (laughs) It's all inverted narcissism at the end of the day, (laughs) isn't it? No, it's it's this, it's this, I don't know. Sometimes we need permission to be as awesome as we are. Right. And that's from everything growing up in society and everyone telling you to play small and mm-hmm. you're not good enough or mm-hmm. whatever. And yeah, now you're at the point where you've you've arrived and you can say actually and I can say, Yeah, I, I'm pretty cool at this. It's actually happening. I see it happen and I'm gonna own it and yeah. you know, playing small doesn't help anybody. Yeah. And I think too because talking about like your experience of going to that Airbnb and having that woman tell you that you're there's no substitute for spending time with your kids like right. you know we'll get pushback from that and i think yep. the best thing that that we can do as women in particular cuz fucking divine feminine we are about to rule the world like it is it is going to tip within our lifetime that women really get to step into our divine power in a different way but i think those of us who are on the path to this and who are stepping into our power just need to continue to support other women in doing that instead of tearing them down for whatever reason. One of my friends on Instagram, she's another Daring Way professional, and she's shifted into this like uh, wellness coaching world. And someone just went off on her about the fact that she eats meat. And it was just this like, Mm. it was this awful shaming bullshit. And my friend posted this on Facebook and was like, you know, how do I respond to this person? And when I went back and looked at the post, so many people had stood up for my friend and said, you know what, like, Kelly is an amazing person. She does really great work. And Mm -hmm. I understand that veganism is your point of view and you're not wrong. And at the same time, there's no there's no space for shame here. That's not okay. And so I wrote back to her. I was like, I don't think you need to say anything. I think your tribe did it for you. Yeah, it's been taken care of. Yeah, I'm always talking to especially women who are younger than me, but even women who are older. It's time for us all to be Mm -hmm. able to say how we feel when we feel it Mm -hmm. and not be scared. I'll have your back. You have my back. Yep. Set some boundaries. It is not okay for especially a man to belittle you or Mm -hmm. joke around, you know, about Mm -hmm. you being a woman. Mm -hmm. Just say it. We have to be able to say it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if they don't respond well. We can teach them. Right. (laughs) They need to learn. Right. Right. Have you ever watched the show Working Moms on Netflix? No, I see it all the time on my little queue. <laughs> you would love it. There's so much about this, you know, moms trying to like make their way through the world in the business world and, you know, how they show up at home and they are just so imperfect and hysterically imperfect. Yeah. That it's so, oh, it's so worth a watch. Like even not being a mother, I can relate to so many of the expectations and oh, it's great. I'll definitely check it out. But I completely agree that it is tipping and Mm -hmm. I feel it and I'm super energized by it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this 
negative, radical, mean, angry thing. It's just right. going to happen because it's right. It needs to. Mm-hmm. It's time. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> How about the term wounded healer? How do you feel about that? I also totally resonate with that. And I don't think I would have said that 10 years ago. I would have said, oh, you know, everything was fine Mm. growing up. Nothing horrible happened to Mm -hmm. me. And that's still true. Nothing horrible happened to me. But now that I've done a lot of growing and I call it growing in, not growing up Mm. um, and identifying with my parts that are wounded, I can see that being poor and being made Mm. fun of and being bullied and having some mental illness running through the family, seeing some addiction running through, wanting to numb and not knowing how to talk about feelings. Those are all wounds and they're all valid wounds. We don't, you know, we need people to tell us those are valid. It wasn't perfect. You don't have to pretend like everything was perfect. You know, there is no black without white. There's no growth without the wound. So we have Mm -hmm. to have it. We all have to be the wounded person. And there's no need to compare. You know, I I hear all my clients are like, well, I wasn't sexually abused or I wasn't hit by my parents, so I don't have a right to feel this way. And it's like, no, 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 no. We all, (laughs) everyone, literally everyone has some sort of developmental trauma. And Mm -hmm. so we all have a right to feel whatever it is that we feel based on our family of origin and our experiences. Yeah, I love sending that message, especially in groups, Mm -hmm. because you can see people holding back. Yeah. You know, you got something to say right now. Well, no, it's not as bad as what they were going through. Mm -hmm. And you you really have to send that message a lot. Like everything that you went through is so valuable. And we're here to give you some empathy and give you some Mm -hmm. compassion. We want to allow us to. Right. Yeah. I literally had that moment today. I do a group in a, in a detox every Monday and I love it. It's my favorite thing. And like we talk about addiction and shame and all of that sort of stuff. And this person, yes, I had a good childhood. There was nothing wrong. And then, you know, I talked a little bit about the, the NARM perspective of everyone has developmental trauma and it can be a failure in the environment to meet whatever mm-hmm. need you had at the time. And then this client said, you know what? I never thought about it, but I was the fourth child. So my mom already had three kids under the age of six and two dogs and did it all by herself. Mm -hmm. Of course, she didn't meet my needs all the time. And I was like, yes, you get it. You get it. It's not about your parents being bad or wrong, but it's just a failure in the environment. And I hope that you know, that person can take that and create some more space for for examining the shame that could have mm-hmm. been a result of this blaming self instead of blaming this failure in the environment. It's just, I love it. I love it. Yeah, so hard to do. You, you feel so guilty about saying it wasn't perfect, but it's mm-hmm. true. I have very vivid memories, just a few that stand out, but it's about not having new or brand name things. Yeah, so, yeah. Like just... The comments, I remember sitting in class with these shoes that I knew came from Payless, right? Mm. But I thought they were awesome because they were new. So I thought I was like really hot shit. So I had new (laughs) shoes. And some kid was like, hey, Sarah, where'd your mom buy those? Intentionally. Right. I was like, oh, you know, somewhere at the mall. Think. I, yeah. I don't know. Where do rich people buy shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Funny. I walked out of that class knowing like, wow, they know something. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. And my mom did the best she could. She was trying to be a single parent for a whole long time, working really hard. And, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. She bought me new shoes. Right. 
but that's a wound that sh- that showed up in me trying to hustle for things for a long time. Hmm. I relate to that too. I totally forgot. It was in fifth grade. Everybody had hyper color T-shirts. You know mm-hmm. the T-shirts that would change. Yep. Yes, everyone had one, and that's all I wanted, and yeah. we couldn't afford it. Yeah. Mm. I totally remember those shirts, and I had one really cool shirt from Target. And because again, I thought, you know, Target, wow, that's like mm-hmm. where people get brand name things. And right. I love the shirt so much that I wore it, you know, I don't know, several times a week, probably. I can't remember. But mm-hmm. and then I, you know, growing up like, oh, crap, <laughs> I think I just wore the same shirt over and over because mm-hmm. it was the one thing. But now, you know, I can have compassion for that part of me who really wanted to fit in and yeah. have nice things. And it's all good now. Right. Right. Compassion. Oh, yes. Compassion. It fixes everything. Yeah. Well, I, I'm i coming to terms with trying to not say the word fix because that then implies that uh-huh. I'm broken. <laughs> but yes, I am totally in there with you. And we are, believe it or not, we're coming to the end of the hour. And I want to make sure to give you space to either share anything that you haven't shared yet or share with people where they can connect with you. Anything, anything else you want to say? Well, I love where I'm working right now. And I would invite anyone to look at our website, allhealthnetwork.org. And community mental health is a fantastic place to work Mm -hmm. and to come for treatment. Man, so much better than some places that can charge an arm and a leg. And I just want to invite people to think about recovery, however it looks. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean abstinence all the time, or it doesn't mean 12 steps all the time, or anonymity. It can be prideful and Mm -hmm. out of the shadows and supportive and shame-free. And we really try to offer that. And I try to live it and invite Mm -hmm. people to think about it and explore it. I'm kind of just feeling this right now about loud and proud, like getting people again out of the shadows. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be anonymous all the time. Everyone on earth experiences the desire Mm -hmm. to numb. Yep. And they swing from anxiety to depression. We're all on both spectrums all the time. Yep. So there's no me versus you, therapist versus client. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're all humans. Let's all say it. Let's all acknowledge it. And then it's okay to walk in and say, I'd like to talk to someone about getting help with whatever. We all have it. And we don't need to have such strong, strict, thick boundaries uh, between therapist and client and professional, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. let's just empathize and be humans together. It feels so great when we can do that. Yeah. That's one of my soapboxes right now. So, yes, I know. I try to extend to the students that I teach, just be in your own therapy. That's literally the best thing you can do for your clients, because I think as a parent, the best thing a parent can do is take care of their own healing so that they don't (laughs) send their shit down to their kids. And it's true for therapists. We take care of our own healing so we don't put our shit on our clients. Yeah. And be open to that. And you have to acknowledge that you're Mm -hmm. wounded in order for that to happen. So let's, you know, Mm -hmm. let's just be open about it. Mm hmm. Yep. One of my friends just recently said, like, there are two types of therapists, the ones who know they're fucked up and the others who are fucked up and don't know it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And one is very obvious. Right. Anyone can reach out to me through all health. I don't have I don't have a special website or anything. I'm just Mm -hmm. I'm just doing my thing with the community right now. Fantastic. Well, so 
if you're interested, if you think that Sarah had amazing things to say, definitely check out All Health and supporting community mental health is probably the best thing we can do because those of us in private practice, there is, there's a level of privilege in that and not everybody can afford it. And so, you know, continuing to support community mental health is where I would say that's, that's where God's work is getting done. (laughs) I mean, it's all, it's, it's all good work, but it's tough work to be on the front lines. Yeah. And it's fulfilling. It's joyful. It's beautiful. It's all great. I love it. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. This is it's I just love when there are just these random connections that happen and it's it's just perfection. What a what a lovely talk we had today. Thank you for writing me back. Duh. I know. I loved <laughs> it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, have a nice day. Thanks so much, Sarah, for a wonderful conversation. To find out more about Sarah and the work that she does, you can visit us at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast for all the great details on how to contact her. Thanks as always to the Creative Imposter Studios for producing and editing. Thank you to Liam O'Donnell for the album art and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.